VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion pandemic relief package. We're not going to hear any more about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? The House has been voting for this stimulus package basically for months. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. And I'm Jeannie Shanzano in for Kevin Cirilli once again, who is continuing on his much-deserved vacation. And joining me today is Bloomberg contributor Rick Davis. And later we're going to be talking to Representative Bruce Westerman from Arkansas to get his input on the president's actions today dealing with climate and COVID. And as Charlie mentioned, it really was a very busy day today. It was the first time we heard from the White House COVID team who gave a really sobering assessment as to where we are with the vaccines, saying it may be months before everyone who wants the vaccine can get one. And they talked about the absence of any real extended stockpile. And then, of course, there was a lot of focus today out of the White House and the administration on the issue of climate change. Earlier this afternoon, the president continued to govern largely by executive orders, signing a series of orders aimed at confronting what he has long described as this existential threat of climate change. He signed orders aimed at setting new emission standards, helping communities hit hard by unclean air and water, and promoting the retooling of workers who once relied on jobs in the oil and coal industries. And before signing the executive orders, he said his plan is to ensure millions more jobs are created in energy sectors that he says are growing. And it is noteworthy that the president came out and the first thing he said was climate day at the White House means jobs day at the White House. And I believe we have some sound on that. When we think of climate change, we think of it, this is a case where conscience and convenience cross paths, where dealing with this existential threat to the planet and increasing our economic growth and prosperity are one and the same. And the president also sought to reassure people that he is not interested in banning and he has no intention to ban fracking, something he said on the campaign trail, but has long been debated. And I believe we have sound on that. Let me be clear. And I know this always comes up. We're not going to ban fracking. And of course, he also added that he is going to do everything he can to ensure and do well by workers in traditional energy sectors like coal and industry. And let's hear some sound on that as well. We're never going to get the men and women who dug the coal and built the nation. We're going to do right by them. 
make sure they have opportunities to keep building the nation in their own communities and getting paid well for it. So joining me to see if we can do right by everything that's happening in Washington and across the country today is Rick Davis, Bloomberg contributor, partner at Stone Cold Court Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and Frank Misano, partner at Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group. So good to talk to both of you, Rick and Frank. And Rick, let me start with you and ask you, is we heard from Joe Biden, President Biden's new climate czar, um, somebody we're all familiar with, John Kerry, who tried to follow the president in squashing the argument that these climate policies are going to kill jobs for Americans in traditional energy sectors. How good of a job are they doing so far making that case? Well, I think they're making the argument, right? I mean, like in the past, Democrats have made the mistake of talking about climate in uh, in isolation of jobs, right? And and we're going to build renewable energy. We're going to get rid of the, the, the gasoline industry, uh, the oil industry, a tax on the oil industry, uh, most famous lines from uh, Vice President Kamala Harris during the presidential debate, vice presidential debate about uh, getting rid of going after the oil industry. So, so today was a significant departure for traditional democratic theology around environment, right? Where they were going to talk about it in terms of jobs. Uh, I'm actually a little surprised they didn't talk about how much job creation has uh, occurred in renewable energy around the United States. But, but clearly they want to make sure they don't leave their right flank uncovered, and that is the coal industry, the fracking industry, and the oil industry all got a shout out in the context of we're going to change our mix of energy in this country, but we won't forget the workers who have made America great on the backs of hydrocarbons. And Frank, building on what Rick said, um, yet despite the president and the, the administration's attempts to make this case, we are hearing from Republicans almost from the first day the president entered the White House and pointing to things like the Keystone Pipeline costing, you know, 11,000 plus or minus jobs. So what can the administration do to make the case that this is not where they are headed on this. Yeah, right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so, you know, I think the, pre- the, vi- the president now, the former vice president, President Biden, he's in kind of a box, right? Um, he's got a, an activist group of progressives on the left who think that the only thing that they need to do is push aggressive climate change policies. And, uh, and, they, and those people would argue to him that they elected him, right? And, and I don't happen to think they did. But, but the bottom line is there's another group that he's caught in the middle on who are the union guys in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, and they're more likely the ones who he was able to win back to the, to the, to the debate uh, in, in, the, in the 2020 election. And the reality is, he didn't give them any favors on the first day, right? He, uh, the Keystone issue, while symbolic, really under, undercut a lot of those union guys at the National Building Trades, at, uh, at Leuna, at all these places that have been overwhelmingly, one, supportive of, of doing these union jobs, and two, who were overwhelmingly supportive of Biden and the campaign. So that's his biggest problem, right? He's kind of stuck between the push and pull. And words are words, and actions are actions. And his actions so far in this administration have leaned toward the progressive side. And I kind of think that he started in that direction, mostly because he knows down the road with a 50-50 Congress, basically, things are going to get a lot tougher. So it's easier for him to do symbolic-slash-message-type things now. 
and put those points on the board early. So when the when the the sledding gets tough later on on real issues uh, related to legislation or or policy issues, um, that he has this to fall back on. Yeah, and I think you just Frank, you described really well the sort of uh, the sort of competing claims he's hearing from the left and and these groups that he, as you said, he's got to sort of navigate between. And you also mentioned that words are words, but actions are actions. And we've seen the president sign a series of executive orders today on climate change. But what is going to happen if we can't bring those groups together, but also Republicans together in the Senate and get some policies through the Congress in this regard as well? How can he serve any of these sort of groups that he wants to deal with both of these issues? There's going to be real challenges um, on the limits of the ability of of the executive orders to, to be effective right now. They can send messages. They can be symbolic. But once we get down to brass tacks, they really can't do anything that's not been already approved by law, right, in Congress. So so when they really want to get where the rubber's going to meet the road is when Congress uh, moves. And, and the reality is you're looking at Joe Manchin as, um, you know, kind of being a kingmaker in the Senate in a sense because he um, is going to have control over, one, the energy agenda and uh, a lot of other things, but mostly the energy agenda. And he's shown that if you can't sit down and work out things with the other side, um, you know, then, then, then that's not how we're going to make things work. And so I, I think really they have a perfect example um, that, was, uh, that, that we saw in late, no, uh, late December when they passed what is one of the most significant energy bills we've seen in decades and, uh, and, and a significant climate bill as it phased out eight HFCs, which are refrigerants that were, uh, that were having an impact on climate. Now, those were major climate actions that were successful because they had a bipartisan approach, because Congress and, and, and because Republicans and Democrats, because industry and environmental groups came together and all kind of pushed in the same direction. So I think that has to be the model for where things head. And that's where, you know, a lot of, uh, of that's where Biden's strength is, right? Biden's strength is in building that coalition rather than a pandering to each side. And I think we're going to see that come out as we move further and further into the year. Yeah. And Frank, I think you're right. That Part of the day, too, was just to change the dialogue on climate, right? I mean, we've had four years of denial and actually aggressive moves by the Trump administration to roll back environmental regulations. And part of today was just to say, hey, look, we're we're diametrically opposed to this, but we can't forget everybody in the process. Uh, you mentioned Joe Manchin. He's already been moving uh, toward cleaner energy positions and doing a lot of work with Lisa Murkowski on public lands. He's he is the key swing guy, not just on this issue, but so many issues of economics and jobs creation. So uh, I'm sure they're spending a lot of time making sure that whatever policy they put forward is going to meet his basic minimum requirements. So we'll see where they go from here practically. But I think today was a big scene change on on climate for this administration. And, and Rick, you make a great point in terms of what we're going to be seeing out of the Senate with Joe Manchin, Lisa Murkowski, and others. We also heard um, earlier today from the nominee for Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm. So we really want to focus a little more on this issue of climate action and jobs and what she had to say in her hearings today. 
um, as we think about, you know, how the Biden administration can sort of thread this needle that both Frank and Rick are talking about in terms of making a case for both climate and jobs. This is Sound On on Bloomberg Radio, and I am Jeannie Shanzano. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jeannie Shanzano in this afternoon for Kevin Cirilli at the end of this first week of the Biden administration and speaking with Rick Davis and Frank Maisano and looking forward to speaking shortly with uh, Representative Westerman. It was, of course, Climate Day at the White House today, but also on Capitol Hill the Senate lawmakers on the Energy Committee were hearing more about climate change and the intersection between what the Biden administration hopes to do in that regard and jobs. They were hearing from former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm, who's the nominee for Secretary of Energy. And in her opening statement, she said that the United States has an opportunity to lead the world in developing and cultivating alternative energy sources and practices, which she said would create more jobs. And we have sound on that. We can allow other countries to corner the market on carbon reduction technologies like carbon capture, utilization and storage, or we can put our workers in good-paying jobs manufacturing and installing those solutions in America. In his opening statement, Republican Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming said he hopes that Granholm, if confirmed, will accept fossil fuels as energy sources so that jobs aren't lost in those sectors. And we have sound on that. You have an opportunity to define your views and demonstrate that you're dedicated to all forms of American energy and expanding America's energy security. So, Frank Maisano, is the Biden administration making the case that they need to make as it pertains to these this issue that Senator Barrasso raised today in his opening statement at these hearings? Well, right now, they are starting to make the case. The question is, as I said earlier, will their actions uh, follow their words, right? It's very easy for Jennifer Granholm, who is a very savvy politician. I'm a Michigan, former Michigan resident myself, so I take special uh, interest in, in local politicians from Michigan. She's a very savvy politician and done a very good job and certainly will be a good energy secretary 
and focused on the things that the administration is, is uh, wants to push forward, especially on the environment, uh, on uh, electric vehicle infrastructure and things like that. So I'm, 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 I was impressed with some of the things that she said. But again, it's going to be making sure that actions follow words. And, and I would say this, you know, the jobs argument is an important argument, right? But the, the, the question is, you, you've got jobs both on the fossil side and on the renewable side, and there really isn't much reason why you can't move forward and do both, right, and keep a lot of those things moving, because a lot of those coal workers and a lot of those refinery workers and oil and gas pipeline workers, they're not going to be the type of workers who would just easily transfer over. Now, you could make a case for uh, having a transition, some sort of transition that can help them, but the larger part of, of that is going to be a tough sell for a lot of those union guys who have been doing the same thing for years. Now, on the other hand, you have electrical workers who have worked on pipelines. They're the guys who are building wind turbines right now, right? So, you know, you have lots of opportunities in the renewable space. We should grab all those opportunities, whether it's offshore wind, whether it's CCS, as Grant Holm mentioned, whether it's, uh, you know, extending and building more of the transmission system that will be able to move renewable energy from place to place. Those are all important pieces. The roadblocks are in different places, and those are consumer-driven, uh, likes what consumer likes, and you know local obstacles that tend to block a lot of these things. So it's never as easy as they're uh, making it sound when they have uh, conversations like this. Um, there are always things that come up, and those are the contingencies that we have to consider when we try and revamp and restructure the entire energy infrastructure that we deal with in the U.S. and, and globally. And, and Rick, we're only a week into the Biden administration, so I want to be careful here. But Frank raises such a good point. So much of this is going to, though, involve and, and depend on an investment from Congress. Is Congress prepared, particularly the Senate, to act to invest in what needs to happen to transfer these jobs? Yeah, look, I think there's a transformation that's already taking place, right? I mean, I think Frank points out a transition that's already well in place. I mean, most of these states have already increased their supply of renewable energy. Uh, the grids are being updated to accommodate uh, the kind of uh, power that renewables give, whether it's wind or solar or, or, or sea-based. And, and so I think the recognition today out of the White House was, okay, we're going to keep that going, right? We don't know where the end point's going to be. We're not going to sacrifice oil and gas in the process. They may stop leasing uh, uh, for oil and gas on public lands, but they won't stop it from happening on private lands, which is the bulk of the fracking business. So I think there's a real mix here. And the real question is going to be, what is the agenda on Congress? What are they going to ask them to do? Because right now it's not obvious by the Biden actions today that they've got a legislative plan to submit. Will it go through reconciliation? Is there going to be a standalone bill? Probably not support for a standalone, but we don't know what the congressional approach is going to be. Right. And, I, and again, I look back at what they did in December as a harbinger for what could be done. And, you know, you're going to have Bruce Westerman on later. He's moved forward in a bipartisan fashion on legislation that Senators Coons and Braun are pushing forward uh, on tr a trillion trees, you know, trying to plant trees for sequestration. You've got bipartisan support for energy and other things. So I think you've got a lot of things that you could have solutions on. And I'm Jeannie Shanzano. We are at Bloomberg Radio, and we will be talking more about that issue and also the Fed's remarks today, Fed Chair Jay Powell's remarks today.
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jeannie Shanzano in for Kevin Cirilli. And in just a few minutes, we are going to be speaking with Representative Westerman. And we were just continuing our conversation on how Congress might address beyond all the executive orders the president signed today, the issue of climate change as it pertains to the jobs and the economy. So let me just add something into the mix with my guests here, uh, Frank and uh, Rick. We heard also today from the Federal Reserve that they were going to leave interest rates unchanged near zero. And they said the path to economic recovery depends on the virus and the vaccine rollout. Adding to that, Fed Chairman Jay Powell spoke in a press conference where he talked about the outlook for the rest of 2021. And I think we have sound on that. While we should not underestimate the challenges we currently face, several developments point to an improved outlook for later this year. Sufficiently widespread vaccinations would enable us to put the pandemic behind us and return to more normal economic activities. In the meantime, continued observance of social distancing measures and wearing masks will help us reach that goal as soon as possible. So Rick Davis, he's talking about, you know, improvements based on the vaccination uh, being accessible and ready. Um, Of course, we also heard earlier today for the first time from the White House COVID team who had a more sobering estimate that it may be months before everyone who wants a vaccine can get one. So what is this going to say and do in terms of the Biden administration's ability to address all these issues we've been talking about, including climate change and jobs in the economy? Yeah, I don't know how everybody else feels, but I feel like I'm in this scene from Groundhog Day where every <laughs> fall or every winter someone says, well, you know, by spring things are going to start to improve. And by the end of the year, we're going to have a better fiscal picture. Um, you know, I, I, I want to believe uh, Chairman Powell. It, this is a great news. Uh, Uh, If the vaccine rollout works the way the Biden administration has orchestrated it with the significant new increases in the vaccine uh, uh, acquisitions that the government's done, maybe we can get this thing deployed uh, through the spring. And and, and if if it actually happens the way he described it, by the end of the year, we're back on some kind of a track. That would be super news for the economy, super news for our society and creating jobs. Uh, It's the first inkling of optimism that I've heard in quite some time. Yeah, Yeah, Frank, I was just going to ask you, um, do you you share his assessment about Groundhog Day or or where are you on this? Well, first of all, that was a great movie. Uh, Second of all, all, um, no, I think there's ties to what happened today. Um, that may that may be relevant to, with the climate issues that are present. Okay, first of all, we know that this administration's main priority is dealing with COVID and the health portions of COVID and trying to get that ball moving in the right direction where they didn't think it was going before. Secondly, I think, you know, the first actions that tie Congress to this are going to be dealing with that health issue and vaccination issues and dealing with economic recovery, right? And now there may be some elements of infrastructure to that economic recovery, but really it's about uh, unemployment insurance and helping people pay their utility bills and, you know, providing other additional stimulus to them and things like that, right? Those are the things that are really on front and center in the minds of most people. So what, what the links are to the climate side, though, are, first of all, it's going to move these climate pieces back on the legislative agenda, right? They're never always a, 
a priority uh, anyway in the in the minds of voters. So these things, dealing with the virus, getting people back on their feet, getting the economy rolling again, all of those things are going to take a priority, and Congress will move them to the front of the line. The second piece of this is, as as Chairman Powell talked about, when we start to see that recovery, most analysts that I talk to um, see um, a lot of the hydrocarbon industries that have been pummeled by the COVID uh, problem, that they're going to be starting to recover, right? So one of the things we saw were massive emissions reductions last year unseen um, because people just slowed down. The economy shut down. As, uh, and that happened to oil demand, and that caused negative prices in some, uh, at some point during, during early parts of the year last year. Now, the reality is, though, you know, those things are going to come back, and you're going to see oil recover. You're going to see demand recover. And I think that also is a bit of a setback to what the administration is trying to do on, on some of these climate issues, and we'll make it more difficult for them to succeed. Yeah, and Rick, I, I, I really have to ask you, as we hear from Frank and has so many important things to say about what may and may not happen um, with with climate and jobs. Speaking of Congress, we heard also this afternoon House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy may be taking a trip tomorrow down to Florida to see former President Trump. What do you make of it? Look, I mean, it, we knew that Donald Trump would reemerge at some point in time. He's been almost invisible uh, since they got banned off of uh, social media. And so uh, my guess is that uh, uh, in a way of sort of keeping his finger in the dike with Donald Trump, he's he's taken a trip. Uh, uh, I have no doubt that he's been under enormous strain. He was the point guy in the House uh, if not in the Congress, for most of the Trump initiatives over the last four years. Uh, he's tied to Trump in so many ways. He was one of the people in Congress who put up the fight uh, against the Electoral College initiative. And so my guess is uh, he's going to go down there and try and repair some of the damage that has been caused to Trump. Uh, but my guess is he's, he's, he's just going to be in listen mode, and he'll hear a former president vent on him the way the, he did when he was president. Uh, there's, there's no fixing this problem in the short run. Yeah, and Frank, in, in the little time we have left, you know, let me just ask you, is Donald Trump thinking seriously of starting a third party? Is, is Kevin McCarthy down there to try to, you know, sort of head that off? Well, look, we all know that Donald Trump has a lot of bluster on a lot of things. And I think people, when he initially ran for president in 2015, thought that it was a lot of bluster. Now, he followed through on that, and people said he would adapt to the system. He didn't. He stayed where he was. Um, you know, I mean, there are lots of challenges that face uh, uh, him trying to do something like that. Um, and, and so I, I'm not, I, I don't know that it will happen. I do know that um, that Republicans would be wise to try and slow that process. And I think that's part of what's happening here uh, as he as as McCarthy heads to Florida. Frank Misano, partner at Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group. Such a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Representative. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude, and it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, filling in for Kevin Cirilli, along with Rick Davis. And joining us now on Bloomberg Radio is Representative Bruce Westerman from the 4th District of Arkansas. And Representative Westerman, it is so good to talk to you. And of course, we welcome you on what has been Climate Day today. So you're the perfect person to speak with. And so I wanted to just start off with asking if you could speak a little bit about this bill you have put forward, which has really received a lot of a lot of discussion in terms of pr- a proposal for planting a trillion trees to suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Well, good afternoon, Jeannie, and greetings from Arkansas. It's good to be with you, and uh, always good to talk about what we can do to make it cleaner, safer, and healthier environment. And you know, I'm a I've got the distinction of being the only forester in Congress. So uh, trees are something that I'm passionate about, and they're the natural carbon eater. It's the most pragmatic, proactive thing we can do to reduce carbon in the atmosphere, and uh, it's also the most economical thing that we can do. And I'm excited about uh, conservatives in conservation. You know, we started the conservation movement, and it's something that we need to reclaim the narrative on. And we need to demonstrate how you can have a strong, vibrant economy and a healthy environment at the same time. And that's really uh, one of the goals of the Trillion Trees Act. Uh, you know, we want to plant more trees so we can pull that carbon out of the atmosphere. We want to manage our existing forests so that they're not going up in flames, putting more carbon into the atmosphere. And we also want to use sustainable building materials, which wood is uh, probably the most sustainable building material that we've got in the fascinating thing about wood when it comes to carbon is that it's about 40 to 50 percent by dry weight carbon. So when you see a a board lying around or I'm I'm in my house and there's a wooden countertop here, uh, you know, just about half the weight of that is pure carbon. So there's nothing better to to eat carbon out of the atmosphere and store it and hold it for long periods of time. Congressman Westerman, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. This is Rick Davis uh, out of Washington, D.C., and it's really wonderful to hear a Republican talking about conservation. Uh, My great Republican hero, Teddy Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan, uh, were were man-to-man with you on this this issue. And so we appreciate your service on that and your leadership of the Natural Resources Committee in the House of Representatives. I want to talk a little bit, if I can, about – uh, the the legislative process. I mean, you've got the bill on a trillion trees. We know there are other ideas around thirty by thirty, uh, which is you know taking thirty percent of the land and oceans 
set aside and conserved by 2030. Uh, there's a lot of talk in some Republican circles even about a carbon tax. And I guess the question I have, which was also germane to what happened with uh, the Biden announcements today, is, is there a likely place, either on reconciliation or something else, that these kinds of initiatives could get a vote? Yeah, well, I think they'll have a vote. I think the question is more, can they get a bipartisan vote uh, on some of these issues? And I think there's a lot of ground where we can work together. Um, again, if it's about making a cleaner, safer, healthier environment, and I believe in order to do that, you have to have a strong economy. So you can't do things that that wreck the economy and, and think you're going to make the environment better. Uh, a lot of people think those two are mutually exclusive, but actually they're dependent upon each other because – where you see the most vibrant economies in the world, you also see the, the cleanest environment. So I want to work on market-based solutions, uh, let that free market uh, do its magic on making uh, or on helping us be better stewards. And I want to focus on that word conservation. And, you know, you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt, who's the father of conservation. Uh, and I think the word conservation, the meaning of it has been, uh, warped over time, but conservation means a uh, a wise use of the land, of, of using it and leaving it in as good or better condition for future generations. Uh, and a lot of the policies that we see that are more of a political environmentalism, where you try to regulate uh, everything into this utopian environment, it's focused more on preservation. And I like to make the distinction that preservation is for innate objects. Uh, you know, you can preserve a cucumber and make a pickle out of it, but you basically have to, to kill it and put it in vinegar to do that. Our living world is, is dynamic. It's all the time changing. And we can't just draw a fence around it and say it's going to remain like this forever. We have to go in and, and be the good stewards of the land and use that and learn how to to make it better for future generations and also to meet the needs of the present generation. So when we're talking about conservation, when we're talking about public access and multi-use, I'm, I'm all for that. And one of the things I'm worried about on the 30 by 30 is they're using the word conservation, but I've seen a lot of times before where they really mean preservation. We want to make this hands-off. We don't want to uh, have any human influence on it. We're seeing that with some of the executive orders that are already coming out, and that, that really concerns me. But if, if we're truly talking about conservation, then they'll have an ally uh, with me and with many others in the Republican conference. So, Congressman Westerman, one of the issues we've been hearing and we've talked about on this show in the last week or so has been about, as you're talking about, the issue of the environment and jobs, the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. And what is your view on the argument we've been hearing, um, both in terms of the cancellation and also its impact on jobs and what can be done about that? Well, great question, Jeannie. And I think what we've got to focus on is an energy plan. What I'm seeing happening right now are our our energy points, our little blips on the timeline, um, where it's not really fitting into some kind of overall plan. And I don't see the science or the logic behind uh, these announcements that are coming out. I mean, we know that if you're going to transport um, liquids, that pipelines are the safest, lowest energy, most efficient way to transport them. So when you shut down a pipeline, 
um, you're not only stopping that supply of, of uh, petroleum, uh, you're really just shifting it. You're shifting it, uh, and if you're shutting down production on federal lands in the U.S., uh, you're not going to end the demand overnight. Uh, all these combustion engines and automobiles and planes and trains and ships and construction equipment and farming equipment, uh, they're not just going to automatically change over to some other form of fuel. So the demand's going to be there. It's going to make us dependent on foreign countries again, putting this product in ships, sending it across the ocean, where you're much more likely to have uh, environmental problems. You're producing it in an area where it doesn't have near the environmental uh, regulations and stipulations that we have here in the United States. So I don't think this is going to do anything to help the environment. I think we have to have a comprehensive plan that relies on the current cleanest, most affordable sources of energy and working on the innovation and technology uh, that if our goal is to have lower carbon energy, uh, we work towards that goal and we phase this in, not just going to cold turkey overnight on 20 to 30 percent of the, uh, the energy production or supply in our country. We've got to look at things like hydropower, where we've got uh, 12,000 megawatts of hydropower potential on existing dams. You know, it's been very controversial in the past on whether dams should be built or not, but we could go out on existing dams that are there and put in 12,000 megawatts of power uh, and let the free market do that. We could uh, develop more uh, small-scale, next-generation nuclear power plants, which are also zero-carbon. Uh, but we can't just shut down our domestic supply of energy and go out and claim that we've got victory uh, on environmental stewardship. Congressman, this is Rick Davis again. Uh, I don't often get a chance to ask a congressman with a degree in forestry a question about forest management. So I'm just dying to uh, use this opportunity. Uh, I used to work with John McCain. Uh, fires in the West have been uh, wildly discussed. I mean, billions of dollars have been lost literally up in smoke. Uh, and states seem to have a, tr a problem with their forest management policies. Is there something the federal role uh, should do to help try and mitigate these conditions that cause these uh, forest fires in the West? Now, you, you just pitched me a, a softball there, Rick. Absolutely, there's something that the federal government should do. We should use sound forest management practices. Uh, we know the science. We know how to go in and, uh, and thin and use controlled burns and to really make these forests healthy and vibrant. And I talked earlier about how our, our natural environment is living and it's dynamic, it's all the time changing. And if we take a hands-off approach, the, the forests don't get the memo. They just continue to grow. They fill up the growing space. They start competing uh, for sunlight. They compete, the trees compete for water and nutrients and they become stressed and weakened. We see insects and disease attack. You get all this dying wood, and then you either get a, you know, a natural lightning strike or you get a man-made fire, and we've seen the devastation out of that. And all that carbon that that forest worked so long and so hard to store in the trees goes right back up into the atmosphere uh, as carbon dioxide. And, but there's also another part to it, the, the dead and dying um, biomass that's left out there in the forest, uh, it gets digested by, by microbes and insects, and it goes back into the atmosphere as, as carbon, but it's as methane instead of carbon dioxide, which is a, a worse greenhouse gas mm -hmm. 
Representative yeah, yeah. Westerman, it has been such a treat to talk to you. We could listen to you all day. The only forester in Congress, I think, in American history. Thank you so much for being on, and thanks to Rick Davis and to Frank Misano. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.